Hey guys, thanks so much for joining us right here for the Active Church Podcast. We believe that you can tell a better story and we are so glad you are engaging with our content today. You're about to hear from one of our incredible teaching pastors and we hope that you'll be impacted by this message. Thanks again for being with us. Well, Active Church, it's so great to be coming to you as you are experiencing church at home. Um, just so great to be with you all. And as we're in this series, I know that you're going to get so much out of it and love that you are engaging through our online platform. Well, about a month ago, my wife made a purchase. I know she did it because most of the stuff she purchases through Amazon. She bought this thing called a hatch. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, but a hatch is this amazing new gizmo that is supposed to provide an amazing night's sleep. So here's the thing, is my wife was having trouble going to sleep. She was having trouble um, resting. She was having trouble kind of winding down. So here's how the hatch works. The hatch has a little light, kind of looks like a HomePod or an Alexa, and you set a routine. So routine starts at 30 minutes, and there's about 10 minutes where the light's on, and you can sit there as a reading light, and you can read. And then after about 10 minutes, a meditation or a story comes on. And then after 10 minutes, it starts to play nature sounds like birds chirping or rainfall or ocean waves. I know, you're loving this. Some of you are probably on Amazon right now ordering your own hatch. And then, what's amazing, in order to wake up, it eases in. So about 15 minutes before your wake-up time, the light starts to come back on, kind of like a, a sunrise. And then at your wake-up time, instead of the alarm hitting like bump, 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 it actually just has like birds chirping or the rain begins to fall. The idea is you're supposed to wake up easy. But here's how it played out when it showed up at our house. So my wife unwraps it, she's all excited, she reads the instructions, there's an app. She puts the app on her phone and begins to plan her sleeping and waking up routine. But what happens is she starts to get obsessed with the routine. So the problem was that she couldn't sleep. But now our problem is, is that she's constantly messing with this hatch. She's not falling asleep. She's listening for the transition to happen to the nature sounds or to the meditation. And she's, she's obsessed with this hatch. And, and I think it's a little like some of the situations that we find ourselves in now in the current context of our lives. It's, it's what I call the was, the is, and the can be. Maybe you would call it the old normal, the new normal, and the better normal. Here's what I mean by that. Old normal in my wife's world was, I can't sleep. The better normal that she was looking for was a good restful night's sleep. But unfortunately, we're stuck in, I wanna get this hatch to work perfectly. So we're still yearning for that better normal. So I'm left asking the question, is this a better normal or just a new normal? And aren't we all kind of, asking that question right now? We know that everything we've experienced over the past few years has brought change, whether we wanted it or not, or whether we liked it or not. The question then becomes, what are we gonna do within our new realities? Again, it's sort of looking back on the was, embracing the is, but also 
looking forward to what can be. I know we all often yearn for the old. The nostalgia is a powerful thing. But I want to ask you the question as you're watching today, is it possible that the old normal we were in really wasn't that great? Is it possible that the speed at which you were living, the money you found yourself spending, the activities maybe you were prioritizing, the relationships you found yourself managing, or even that job you found yourself hating, is it possible that the was wasn't really that amazing at all? really wasn't as amazing as you thought. And most importantly, is it possible it really wasn't in line with God's purpose that you had hoped for? Hey, I'm just asking the question. Because some of us in this new realities we're in are going to make the mistake of longing and yearning and pushing towards what we've known when God is working in us right now towards what we actually desperately need. And in this season, marked by change, and with the possibility of what can be, we're in this series, The Genius of Jesus, around the Sermon on the Mount, and it's so timely, because Jesus' arrival actually marked a time of transition. Things were suddenly shifting. The was, the old, was passing away, and a new and possibly a better normal was arriving, even though so many at that time were not even aware of it. The kingdom of God had come because the king had arrived. And in many ways, our old is passing away, which causes us to pause and it disrupts us a lot. But at the same time, the new is arriving and this should excite us and get our attention. And it's important to realize, what's important to realize is that the entire time that Jesus was here on earth, people were confronted with the reality of what they thought they wanted, but are now dealing with what the kingdom of God truly brings. And that's you and I. We think we want this from God or this experience from God, but when we begin to embrace him, when we begin to connect with Christ, when we begin to connect in community with others, it often brings things that we didn't even expect. Sometimes we overlook the fact that the greatest theology the greatest understanding our faith, the loudest message of our faith community, like active, is that change is not only possible, we believe, but it's actually expected if God is in the middle of it. And that's why Jesus started his entire public ministry by saying, repent, change, the kingdom of God is here. And in this series, these are some of the most counterintuitive statements of all time what's commonly referred to as the Beatitudes, where Jesus challenges us to think differently. He challenges us to move from the is to what is known as the can be. And these Beatitudes, as we started off last week learning, come at the beginning of what we know as the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous teaching. The Beatitudes also all begin with this one word, this word blessed. The word blessed actually means fortunate, or happy. And this is going to sound so backwards because Jesus will say, happy are you when you are poor in spirit, or fortunate are you when you are persecuted. And that sounds so backwards to us, but this is what this new kingdom that Jesus brings look like. So before we jump into the second one, let me show you again what the Sermon on the Mount, the setting of the Sermon on the Mount is. There's actually a church that sits there now where it's believed that this took place. And it sits on a hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee. In verse one of Matthew chapter five, we read, now when Jesus saw the crowds, 
he went up on a mountainside and he sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Now there are three groups of people at this moment who are following Jesus. First are his 12, the ones he selected, his disciples. Then there are the other followers. These are the people who left everything and followed him. They followed him wherever he went. People like Mary and Martha, Mary Magdalene and Joanna. But then thirdly, there were the crowds. They were these hundreds of people, maybe sometimes even thousands of people, and they would come to be healed, or they would come to hear Jesus teach. And in this moment, he's got all three groups of people here. And just so you know, this crowd is not the religious elite. These are not the successful people necessarily with prosperous lives. This is not the sermon at the Ritz-Carlton. These are the poor, mostly heartbroken, often suffering, and generally outsiders. And here's how the Beatitudes go. I'm going to read them all to you, and then we'll focus on our one for today. Jesus says there on that mountainside, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That's where we're going to land today. In verse 5, he said, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. And finally, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus is saying is, I am the king and I am bringing a different kingdom. And now I'm going to talk to you about the characteristics of the people who are aligned with me. And what he's saying is this, being blessed is not having a new car, a bigger house, or a comfortable job. It's living out these kingdom principles that reflect our King Jesus. So in the next few moments, I want to just look and unpack a little bit of this second beatitude. Verse 4, blessed are those, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Let's begin with what does it mean to mourn? Because this is sort of a backward statement for all of us. Mourn is not a word that we commonly walk around in our culture and use. It's typically relegated to one activity when someone dies. And here's the advice that a lot of us have heard and maybe we've given is the idea that we should bury those emotions. We should replace the loss. Time here heals everything. Bury the emotions, replace the loss. Time heals everything. Unfortunately, when you bury the emotion, it doesn't go away. When you replace the loss with something else, it's never really going to satisfy. And time, as we all know, doesn't necessarily heal everything. In some ways, time is only a multiplier of what we've put into practice. So when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, he's literally saying, happy are those who are sad. And we say, what? That doesn't make any sense at all. How can you be blessed when you're crying? I mean, I understand happy tears, but this is something else because most of us want to avoid grief. We want to avoid mourning at all costs. You go to a funeral, you want to get in and get out. You want to be seen and get out and get back to life. We don't really live in a world that necessarily embraces mourning, but we strive, we strive for happiness. We don't want to think about death or mourning. We want to move on with our lives. 
But if we scratch a little bit beneath the surface of the happiest people you know, people who have joy, they actually are not the people who have perfect lives. In fact, most of them have incredible challenges and tragedies, and they've come out the other side, or they've been transformed in the midst of it. And I think it's, this is true, is that Jesus is saying you can't go around grief. You actually have to go through it. And if you try to avoid it or you try to deny it, you will never truly find comfort and peace. Jesus says when you walk through grief, you will find comfort. Now, the word that Jesus uses for mourn here is the strongest word for mourning that can be found in the Greek language. Here's what a commentator on this passage by the name of William Barclay says about this word. He says the following, it is defined as the kind of grief which takes such a hold that it cannot be hidden. It's not only the sorrow, he goes on to say, which brings an ache to the heart. It is a sorrow which brings the unrestrainable tears to the eyes. Some of you listening today know what that feels like. And Jesus promises that there is a blessing for us in those moments when life seems to just be following, falling apart. Moments of heartbreak, moments of loss, moments of deep disappointment. Felt some of those? I have, you have. Moments when it feels like you've come to the end of your rope. When you appropriately grieve your losses, you'll be able to move through them with a momentum towards the promise of the new, and it can be tomorrow. But when we experience loss and we don't mourn appropriately with others and with Jesus, we will then be tempted to try and find our comfort somewhere else. We may choose to put our head down and work harder or find some mind-numbing escapes or maybe just pursue a return to the was, to the past. Failure to grieve will lead you to recreating a past that is no longer there. So here's what you got to wrestle with today. Godliness is not possible without some grief. Let me say that again. Godliness, true godliness, reflecting him, is not possible without some grief. We see this actually in a guy in the Old Testament named Job. Maybe you're familiar with with Job's story, but when we meet him, Job is actually living what we would call the good life. He's living the American dream, PCV, the American dream pre-coronavirus. His life is comfortable, his life is easy, he's married, his kids are happy, his business is booming, and he's extremely wealthy. So to the outsider, everything is going well. But then in chapter one of the story that we read, it all falls apart. A servant comes on the scene. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy, actually, and funny in a strange way, because the servant comes on the scene and says to Job, hey, I know your life is good, but I've got some bad news. All your sheep, all your goats, all your livestock have been killed, along with all your servants. And in those days, there's no insurance company. There's no government bailout. He woke up that morning and everything was predictable and comfortable and normal. And by the time he went to bed that night, it was all gone. But then about that time, another servant comes on the scene and says, I don't know how you tell you this because I know you just lost everything, but your sons and your daughters, they were all at your oldest son's house. A huge storm comes, the house collapses, and all your children have died. Hello. That's a bad day. 
In verse 20 of Job chapter one in the New Living Translation, it says, Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head, fell to the ground in worship. Goes on to say, I've come naked, he tells God, from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In this moment of Job's greatest loss and grief, he still worships. He acknowledges God's power and God's sovereignty and he puts his faith and trust in God. But things don't get better. Chapter two, he then loses his health. He's lost all of his wealth everything that would amount to wealth in that culture. He's lost his family, those closest to him. And now he loses his health. His body is covered with painful sores. And then his buddies come around. And they, I assume they're there to comfort him, but they begin to blame him. They, they say things like this. Hey, Job, what did you do to make God so mad? You must have done something to cause all of this. Then Job's wife tries to convince Job that God has turned his back on him. And she says to Job, just curse God. Just curse God and die. Just be done with God. Good friends, good marriage. But Job, he keeps his faith, but he begins to then question God. And you and I can understand that, right? Because he had this incredible was, but the is has now basically made what can be seem impossible. And he says, God, do you really care? He says things like, God, are you really in control? Do you really see what is happening? Because it doesn't feel like it. You felt those emotions. I felt those emotions. A while back, there was a guy they featured on Good Morning America who invented what he called Get Over It Day. Since I've just, you may not be aware of it, I want you to mark it on your calendar. I believe it happens coming up soon on March 9th. You can Google it, Get Over It Day. There's a website. And it's jam-packed with helpful hints for just saying no to grief. So if you just get over it on March 9th, maybe by March 10th, all your suffering will be gone. Don't you wish it worked like that? Of course we want to avoid suffering. Of course we want to stay away from mourning. We do everything in our power to make it go away. We numb ourselves with anything we can, with entertainment and fun. We medicate, we drink, we shop, we work, we party. We shift all of our efforts to just get over it, just getting past it. And Job is questioning God. He's trying to move through his suffering. But in chapter 38, all the way at the end of the story, after Job has shared his thoughts completely and authentically with God, he got real. God has had enough of all these questions from Job. So he speaks to Job, but he doesn't answer Job's questions. He asks Job questions. He doesn't say, okay, Job, you have some questions. Let's just work through those one at a time. No, he says, Job, listen, I have some questions for you. And he says this, he says, Job, where were you when I created the world? Because I don't remember seeing you. Job, did you determine how much water the oceans would hold? Did you set the time the sun would rise? Do you know, Job, how many snowflakes are scheduled to fall on the earth? Do you know how light travels? Tell me, tell me if you do. God, God asks these questions about the details of the universe. And here, here's what becomes very clear. God knows what we don't. God understands what we can't. And what we discover is that not that God is indifferent or apathetic or God is not in control. Instead, they reveal that God is very involved and God is very much in control. And at the end of the book of Job, after he's gone through all of his pain and suffering and mourning, he sits and listens to God. And he listens to God ask him all these questions. 
And he responds this way in chapter 42. He says, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Something happened to him. He went from hearing about God to seeing God. He went from knowing about God to actually knowing God. And it changed his relationship with God. So I want that to be our prayer for all of us in this series, that we will know God even in the midst of mourning in a way we've never known him before. So the question then becomes not why or what, but it's who. The question is not why do we suffer, but who can control our universe? When we suffer, we mourn. When we mourn, we are comforted by God's presence. The blessing is not in the mourning. The blessing is in the comforter. Again, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And Paul says to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians, he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly, Paul says, in the sufferings of Christ, so, offer, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Here's how God works. It's through your suffering and my suffering that we experience God's comfort. And when we experience God's comfort, God doesn't waste that. He uses that experience so that we can then in turn comfort those who we come in contact with who are suffering. When we mourn, we are comforted by God's presence. And it's through that mourning that we experience the blessing of God's presence. So I wanna ask you as we close a few questions. Number, number one is this, today in the moment, in the is that you're living in, what is it that you're mourning? What is it that you can identify? What is it the loss that you're feeling? Because I don't want you to bury the emotions and expect to find comfort. You can't just get over it. You can't move forward until you grieve what is behind. Time does not heal. So what is it that you are mourning? The last 18 months, the last two years, have been a time where for many of us, we have suffered loss. Loss of so many things, loss of our normal, loss of people and loved ones, all sorts of loss. I wanna give you permission right now to mourn that. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you've tried to just get over it. Maybe you've tried to just move forward. But in not actually mourning, it stopped you from actually moving forward. So what is it today that you're mourning? Second question, in what area do you need God's presence? Where do you need God to show up? You are mourning a loss in your life and God comforts us with his presence. That's, this is when you pray. and You ask God to be in your situation. Every now and then someone will say to me, I don't really wanna bother God with it. You think God's like watching Netflix? God wants to come into it with you. That's this awesome picture that we get in Revelations. In Revelations chapter eight, it's this picture of heaven. And there are songs that are being sung around the throne of God. And all of a sudden, heaven gets silent. And because of the prayers of God's people, you and I are rising. And heaven stops to hear those prayers. And my prayers and your prayers rise before God. That's a powerful picture. He listens, he cares, and he acts upon our request. So in what area of your life right now do you need God's presence? What are you mourning? Where do you need his presence? And thirdly, what truth do you need God to plant in your life? For the farmer, for something new to grow, he has to plow up the field, plant the seed, and then he waits. 
And for a while, there's nothing that happens. In fact, there's nothing that happens all at once, but then new life begins to emerge out of the soil. And the Beatitudes are like that. They're like a plow in the field of our lives. It carves up the soil of your life so that God's truth can be planted in you. But maybe you're in the waiting. Maybe you've experienced loss and you wonder when you'll ever be whole again. Let me assure you, Blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. And that God in the middle of this is planting something new in your life. Maybe you need to identify that. What is that in you? What is the better normal that God is moving you towards? I want to give you a tangible response today, wherever you are. I don't know if you had a chance to see the documentary about the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson. But there's a scene within that documentary called The Last Dance where they come together and they realize that it's the last time they'll be together as a team. It's the last season that they'll play together after many, many, many championships. And they basically have a funeral. They all talk about things that are important to them. They all talk about the experience that they've come to. And they, they come together and they take a can and they put it in and they light it. And they basically say, okay, that's the was. Now we're gonna focus on the is and the can be of the season in front of us. For many of you, maybe you physically have to take and to write those things down, the things that have been lost, so that you can mourn and you can have a funeral and be comforted. And then God will be present. He will show up. He is showing up in your life. I want to close with this before I pray for you. I love the way that the message translates this beatitude. It says, you're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. Let me pray for you. Father, just pray as, as Active Church is watching today and as we are walking through the powerful kind of upside down genius of Jesus through these statements, God, that we would grab a glimpse of your kingdom, how it works in different and odd ways to us, but in perfect ways for you. God, I pray for those that have, are, have suffered or are suffering loss today. God, I pray that you would bring comfort and that it would be comfort not from my words, but comfort that only you can bring. Let your Holy Spirit through, through where they are listening, where they're watching today, just be felt. And God, I pray that you would be there in the suffering, bring comfort that would accelerate our connection to you in new and fresh ways. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoy the Active Church podcast. If you want to know more about Active Church, you can follow us on our social media platforms at Active Churches. Don't forget to subscribe as well to stay connected to future podcasts. And if you are a local, we would love for you to experience the room with us. Sunday services are 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. in Ukaipa. See you next time.